Welcome to the Minnesotan Hockey Podcast. The goal of our pods are to give the followers a taste of how great the game of hockey is here in Minnesota. Speaking of great, check out the Minnesotan, a cool and authentic apparel concept, which is one of a kind and 100% unique to the marketplace. You can visit their flagship store seven days a week in historic downtown White Bear Lake or on the web at theminnesotan.com. On today's show, we sit down with Josh Myers, a former Alexandria hockey player and UMD player, and now the new head coach at Alexandria High School. We're going to get to hear about Josh's playing career, starting in Alexandria, moving his way uh, to UMD uh, and into the NCAAs, as well as his professional career that spanned from British Columbia to Italy to Germany. And now he's back in Alexandria coaching his alma mater at Alexandria. Looking forward to a great show. I hope you enjoy it. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, good afternoon, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, you got to be pretty excited. You just got named head coach of the uh, high school where you played and grew up. That's probably to be a pretty uh, fun experience for you uh, this week, uh, getting that job officially handed to you. Yeah, it's definitely exciting times, especially uh, with everything else going on right now, but just navigating through it. And I'm looking forward to to what this experience has to offer for me and for the community and, and giving as much as I can back. So I'm guessing that your interview process was probably all done via Zoom calls, correct? Yeah, yeah, it was it was different this year, obviously, with, with everything going on, but there was a hiring committee and uh, everything was done uh, for, via Google Talks. Uh, so a little bit different, but overall, I think everything went well. Um, had you met the athletic director in person before, whether over the last five years when you've been here in the in the area of Alexandria? I first met him probably in February sometime of of this year before before kind of everything took off with with COVID. Okay. I just stopped in to introduce myself because he, I think he's in his first year this year. Okay, so he's Got a relatively it. new AD to our school district. So. Um, yeah, that's when I first met him. And the hiring process must have been some of the goofiest things ever because the job came open, you know, six, seven, eight weeks ago. So it was all right during COVID when this all happened. What went through What went through the process? Was it a big, huge to-do, or was it just online, like you said, Google Talks or, or Zoom interviews? Yeah, it was, it was definitely delayed a little bit with everything going on. Uh, they wanted to wait until after our, our high school banquet with the old uh, with the old coaching staff and stuff, which that ended up not happening uh, due to COVID. And then the application process was was kind of delayed because this was also at the time the school was trying to figure out what what they were going to be doing for online teaching and all that. So uh, it was, everything was a little bit delayed, but then it was just you know applying online and then getting um, to the second round. Of, of applications and going through the the virtual um, hiring committee process, and then getting offered the job. 
All right. Well, let's start uh, at the beginning. How did you get involved with hockey uh, as a youngster? Is it uh, was it a sibling? Was it a dad? Uh, was it a neighbor? How did you first uh, get on the ice? My dad played uh, up through the high school level here in Alexandria. What, what's your dad's first name? That Al Myers. Al Myers. All right. Good. I love it. All right. Keep going. So he he would be the the number one reason why I got into hockey, and I remember going to the hockey rink for the first time, and him basically pushing me out in the ice. I had no idea what I was getting into, and bawling my eyes out. I didn't want to go out there, and so he ended up having to go home, grab his old hockey equipment, probably rust on the steel. Uh, gloves with holes I'm sure probably a broken hockey stick if he even had one and and got out on the ice with me and he ended up being my coach up until Pewees. So was there a comfort level with having him out there or was it just you you needed to kind of get get started somehow? Definitely a comfort level and and just getting started somehow too um you know, I was four years old or whatever it was, didn't know anybody else out there, didn't know any of the dads. You know, back then, the people on the ice, the coaches, they didn't have to go through safe sport. They didn't have to go through all the other criteria to become a coach. So it was kind of just whoever showed up. And my dad came out on the ice and then uh, kind of got asked or maybe he just took the role of being, being one of the coaches and went from there. So walk through... Uh... Uh, the playing days back in uh, in Alex growing up, like the the mites and the squirts and the peewees, you guys had some success back then. We did, yeah, and it, it probably started. I mean, we had some good squirt teams, but you know, in squirts you're just playing regular games, and then you get some tournaments. There's nothing afterwards. But in peewees, uh, my second year peewees, or sorry, my first year peewees, we went to state for the first time. Um, in quite a while for Alexandria and ended up losing in the consolation. Um, and back then, you know, youth hockey was just uh, one level. So it was PUEA and we were playing against all the top teams in the state. And then also at Bantams, we went to state my first year, lost to Eden Prairie in the, in the state tournament final. I think it was three to two. And then my second year of Bantams, we took third, uh, third place in state. Beating, I think we beat Edina in the championship of that one. That's pretty impressive. That's a pretty pretty impressive group. Besides yourself, who are some other uh, stars that you from your era that you played with growing up? Uh, Dusty Clark was, was a good buddy of mine. He was a really good forward for us. Sean Bitson uh, was another good forward. Jackson Kyle was a defenseman. We had a good. There was probably seven or eight of us that were all in the same age um, that just loved to play hockey. We were at the rink nonstop uh, as much as we could be, and we just loved it. We'd go to the local outdoor arena and and play on the weekends. Our parents would just drop us off on weeknights, and and we were on the ice as much as we possibly could because we just loved it. Just rink rats. You probably went to the high school games. You probably went to the any possible way to get your access to hockey. You guys were taking it, right? 
Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, that was sounds like my group of friends. Everyone had a little posse, right, where you just went and played hockey at somebody's house or somebody's basement or somebody's backyard or somebody's rink. It was just uh, it was just the way we are here in Minnesota, don't you think? Yeah, it was the the thing to do. Everything had to be hockey. It was it was knee hockey. It was roller hockey. It was hockey in someone's basement. Everything we did back then uh, revolved around hockey. Yeah, that's great. So in high school, you played. Did you play? Uh, you probably played bantams in ninth grade year because you did pretty well. And then your sophomore and junior year, you guys uh, ran into uh, the machine of Moorhead in the in the section finals. You guys used to own them. What happened in high school? <laughs> I wish I knew what happened because I would have changed it back then. But yeah, we just for whatever reason we we always seem to do pretty well against them at the youth level. Um, always were good games, and then uh, once we got to the high school level, we we could never uh, find the solution to get past them to go to the state tournament. Was and it's kind of been our Achilles Achilles back then. So what was the Brian Lee Vandeveld teams back then? Were they on those teams? Yep, yep. Brian Lee Vandevelde, Brian Gifford. He played at De- Denver. Yeah. Um, trying to think who else might have been on there that I can. Uh, you're you're really Attesting testing my you. brain here, Sorry. my memory. I don't no, want to. Uh, yeah, they, Go ahead. They had some really good teams for sure. So let's focus on the positives. Uh, you guys had two section semi wins back to back. You beat Apollo uh, your sophomore year to to make it to the section finals. But this, this game seems like an interesting one. You beat St. Cloud Tech three to two in overtime. What do you remember about that game? It was back and forth, up and down. They had Travis Winter who went on to play Bemidji at Bemidji State, and it seemed like he never came off the ice. Uh, for one, and it was it was just uh, the, the perfect uh, playoff game, uh, back and forth, one zero, one one, two one, two two, sort of deal. So, uh, just a great experience and a lot of fun to be part of. So, your senior year, you tried out for the Sioux City Musketeers, made the team, um, but it didn't work out. Uh, ran into some roster issues and because of uh, transfer rules, you couldn't come back and play high school hockey. Walk through that year and then where you ended up. Yeah, I went down to Sioux city, uh, was enrolled in school for roughly a month down there. In went Sioux to the city Buck high school, and after, right? Right. Yep. Yep. In Sioux city high school, uh, went to the Buck Bowl, uh, which is a preseason tournament of the USHL, at least back then. I'm not sure if it still is now. Uh, but after the Buck Bowl, I ended up getting getting cut from the team. And then Minnesota has the rule, if you transfer high schools, you have to sit out. I, I believe it's half a season. So I came back to Alexandria, and I was thinking, well, you know, there's, there's no way I can go and play 14, 15 high school games or whatever it would have been. So it just happened to work out perfectly where it was the first year of the Minnesota Blizzard, part of the NAHL uh, inaugural season here in Alexandria. And I knew the coach, and like I said, it was just the perfect situation for me at that time where I could just go and play my senior year with the Blizzard. And the coach was Dave, is it Butes his name? Boyd. Boyd. Sorry. Sorry. Now, Dave is was also a coach of yours at the youth level all the way up. You had a very good comfort level with him. What is Dave doing these days? 
Dave is currently the general manager of the Minnesota Wilderness up in Cloquet, which is part of the North American Hockey League. So that was a, uh, a a pretty cool thing to see a guy that's you know kind of a peewee coach of yours at one point and all, followed you all the way through high school, and he's now definitely. Did you see something in him that was you know you could see a future in hockey for him? Absolutely, he was by far the most passionate coach I've ever had in my career, and I'm a strong believer that you know if you're a passionate coach, you're going to have passionate players, and he was. Uh, that type of guy for us through Pewies, through Bantams that just enhanced our, our want to get better, our, our drive, and just a great, great overall human and an awesome coach to be, to be under. So I got to go back. I, I'm not to take you to court on this one, but you just said this guy was the most passionate coach of it, and you had Scott Sandlin as a coach. You had Steve Rollick as a coach, Brett Larson as a coach, and I haven't done a ton of research on your – ECHL, AHL, and and European coach. This is the the number one most passionate coach. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. That's great. He'll love to hear that. I <laughs> love to hear that. Uh, so you play a year after that year at Alex uh, back at home at Alex. Uh, you play a year in the USHL uh, and then play four years at UMD. Walk, walk through the recruiting process with Sandlin and and the guys at, at UMD before you got there. But I had an older cousin that he also played for Alexandria. His name's Ryan Garris. He played for Alexandria. He went on to play at Sioux City Musketeers, and then he, he went on to play at, at Duluth. So he was kind of my, my idol, way, my role right? model. Yeah, paved the way. So I'd, my goal was I'm, I'm following in his footsteps. Uh, I knew I wanted to go to Duluth. There was no other schools um, in mind. I, I took a couple other visits, but it was more or less, okay, when – when is Duluth going to come around? When am I going to get my opportunity to go there? And when I went there on my visit and they offered me, it was, it was a no brainer. I didn't have to think about it. It was, yes, this is, this is where I want to go. This, my cousin went here. Um, this is it for me. This is where I want to be. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You knew exactly what you wanted and you went out and got it. So the, you're at UMD. The, the first few years at UMD, there weren't a lot of uh, you know, lower half finishes. And, and you had another lower half finish your senior year. But I think it's pretty cool. Uh, walk through what happened uh, your senior year. I mean, it was pretty fantastic if you, if, you, if you think about the teams that you beat. The three teams that you beat to get to the NCAA tournament because you needed to win the Final Five to get to the – NCAAs, and then you had a pretty memorable uh, NCAA tournament too. Yeah, and when I went to Duluth, we were my sophomore or my freshman class was. I think we had ten or eleven freshmen come in that year, mm-hmm. so we were we were really young, and it was you know just keep working hard, keep buying our time because we knew that we were going to have success, and that finally showed up our senior year uh, where we. We made it to the the WCHA Final Five. Ended up beating the Gophers in the play-in game, beating North Dakota in the semifinals, beating Denver in the championship to become the first ever uh, play-in game champion of the the w, WCHA Final Five. And then we went on to the NCAA tournament, which was hosted at the Mariucci. Played Princeton the first round. Uh, we were down two goals, I think, with thirty. 30-some seconds left or something like that, ended up tying the game with 0.7 seconds and beating Princeton in and, and overtime to, to advance. 
And then we ran into uh, Miami of Ohio and lost, I think, three to two to them. And that team ended up getting to the national final, so there was no uh, shame in losing to that team. Do you remember that that Miami team very well at all? Like who was on the team? I, I don't. I I don't specifically remember um, key players on their team, but they. I just remember it was a it was a really tough game. Obviously, part of the NCAA tournament, and they they obviously had the caliber, the the talent to make it to the the national championship, and they were beating. Uh, BU, whatever it was, four two late in the game, and BU ended up coming back and beating them. But yeah, they were they were no joke. They were a very, very talented team. My memory of Miami Health of that year was they were number one, like from the beginning of the year all the way to the obviously the championship game where they ended up losing. I just remember they were always number one. I was like, who is this Miami of Ohio? Because frankly, they weren't really, you know, remember they weren't really well-known. There wasn't a really well-known program, but I just remember they carried the torch all year that season. Yeah. And we, we didn't know much about them when we played them in the NCAA tournament. You know, you try and look at, you know, maybe some cross references of who they played throughout the season. So you can kind of get an idea, but you know, we, we didn't know much about them either and trying to match up, you know, do whatever you can on the ice, but it was, you know, you just had to take them. Hey, they're probably a really good team. They're in the NCAA tournament. They made it past the first round, just like we did, but it was more about, you know, just believing in ourselves, how we got to that point and kind of going from there. I'm doing a. I, I'm I, at this point doing all of these podcasts. I could do a autobiography uh, or a biography of of Scott Sandel. I've heard so many positive things about Sandy and and the way he coaches. Uh, can you help me fill the pages of the book and tell me some stuff about playing for Sandy? Uh, great guy, soft spoken, uh, but he can get he can get very vocal at times. If, if uh, if things aren't working out, but he's he's one of those coaches you you get exactly what you see, and he he treats you with respect. He, he you know he doesn't try and, and play games or stuff like that with with the players, and he's just very well respected. All the players respected him, and and just believed in his coaching style. And it was it was a, a privilege to play to play under him. I was uh, interviewing uh, Derek Plant, and I asked him about Sandy, and one of the things he said, maybe you could expound on this, especially from a coaching perspective, he goes, yeah, I, I would have a two-on, I would say, we should do a two-on-one drill, and I would, I, would, I, would rec- I would say, well, we should do this drill, and Sandy would, like, rifle down 35 more other two-on-one drills that were better. He was, he was like a drill savant. He had every drill <laughs> that ever had been known to man he had invented or had had in his head. Do you recall being one, you know, one of his players of all the different drills that he could run you guys through? Yeah, I, I, I don't remember specific drills, but I remember uh, every practice was, was unique. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't repetitious. It wasn't, you know, the, the same exact drill over and over. It was, he would add in different things here and there um, just to, just to change things up a little bit. So as a player, you were staying engaged and involved and interested. And uh, he was very good in that aspect. And you also, you mentioned before the show, you talked about Brett Larson coming onto the staff and, and, and the impact that he had on you just in one year. Yeah, absolutely. Brett, Brett just brought a very, um, positive uh, coaching style 
to our to our program at that time and he was a player's coach he was you know one of those coaches that would BS with the guys in the locker room before practice after games whatever it was and it was uh you know kind of that that nice transition from from Sandlin who who was very very serious not saying he he won uh joke around with us but just to have that kind of that I guess connection between the two was was awesome for us. Kind of the good cop, bad cop, a little bit, not totally, but just yeah, like that. Um, so some right. of the guys doing my research, some of the guys that uh, I noticed who who rostered up with you, Matt Niskanen's name just jumps off of the the computer screen. Uh, what do you remember about the way he, maybe just as a guy off the ice, or just the way he prepared himself uh, every night to get ready for a game? <laughs> Prepared himself. I think there was one game where he went because he was from Virginia, Minnesota, which yeah. is only about an hour from Duluth, and I, I, I'm pretty sure this this happened uh, if I remember correctly. But I think before one game, he actually went back to Virginia so he'd go deer hunting, uh, bow hunting before <laughs> before our game that night. He he was a very outdoorsy person. loved loved hunting, loved fishing. Uh, just a great great guy. Um, always cared. Always did his best. So, uh, are you, is, is this a fact, or you may have heard that he did this? Because uh, we're, you know, I'm a journalist here. I want to make sure that we don't, you know, pin his ears back. On this one, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it's a fact. If it wasn't a game day, he he definitely did it um, after practices and as much as he could. Uh, yeah. whether it was before practice went out early in the morning or something like that. But it would definitely would not surprise me if it was uh, before a game. Yeah, at that point he was just Matt Niskanen, right? I mean, or, or at some point during the his career there, and you play your playing tenure with him, did you know that this guy's NHL? Did you know it? Yeah, you could tell, right? Yeah. Um, what was yeah. it that he did so well at school? That that, that uh, as far as on the ice, what was he doing there that was so so much different than everybody else? Just his understanding of the game, he, his vision, you know how he could visualize things before they were going to happen. You could just tell he was on a, on another level in that aspect and, you know, made very few mistakes throughout, throughout his college career, the two years he was there. And he was just kind of one of those guys. He kept it simple, but yet he still did a lot on the ice, which is unique. Here's a got two more big names, and I got a fun one for you after. Um, so Alex Stalock's another big name. He's still playing in the league with Niskanen. Uh, he must have been. It must have been great having a goaltender of that caliber on your team, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, Stalock's known for how well he can play the puck, and uh, I didn't realize it through my college career until I went on to to play in the AHL. But it seemed like I never went back for a puck. Right. In college, if they dumped the puck in, Stalock would go to the corner, he'd grab it. I'd go for a breakout pass as a defenseman because he was going to hit me on the tape or he'd hit one of the forwards. And I didn't realize how much of an asset he was having back there until until I went and moved on and I didn't have him anymore. And uh, just a, a very unique goalie style with him and, and how well he can uh, help defensemen out. All right, so... Please tell me at least one time in, in your career playing with him that Sandy got pissed that he played the puck too much. He had to have. Oh, 
Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there was some giveaways that he had, you know, trying to uh, to do a, a 80 foot uh, break all pass on the power play or something and miss the guy or, or whatever it was. But yeah, there's definitely times, and it seemed like whenever he would go out of the crease to go play the puck, you could the whole crowd would just get silent as they were all nervous too. Yeah, I'm just, I, and I'm not picking on Sandy. I'm any just insert head coach. You're going, no, no, don't do it, please. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. He got away with it, right? There's just got to be one time where yeah. he just lets the goalie have it. Like, stay locked, just stay in the net. You know, one of those kind of yeah, things. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah, right, here's yeah another, absolutely. Here's another big time name. I mean, Minnesotans might not know him, but if you listen to Spit and Chicklets, these guys been on a couple times, and he's just like a laugh a minute. Tim Stapleton. Now he's a guy that doesn't really fit our mold at all. He played all over before he got uh, to UMD. What, what was it like playing with a, a character like that? He was. Uh... A unique guy. Definitely, if you saw him on the street, you would not think that he is a hockey player, but just a, just a happy guy, just fun, always joking around. Uh, exceptional hockey player. I remember if he wanted to, in college at least, uh, he would go coast to coast. And, and that's just how good he was. He was such a good skater, had a good shot, good hands, everything. Uh, Specifically, a, a, a memory I have of Tim Stapleton at Duluth, we always had a, a one-mile uh, run as a test. And he would go out and he would sprint that first lap, you yeah. know, before laps around the track, and he would go out and sprint that first lap. And he'd be half a lap ahead of everyone else. And then he'd get the lap two, and he was drained. He was gassed. He was done. And, you know, and then he would end up finishing towards the end of the pack. But that was just how he was. He was a sprinter, and he would come out of the gates hot, and then he wouldn't be able to maintain. Uh, he's the the best. He's kind of a goofy looking guy, and he makes fun of himself. Just uh, he's like magical about making fun of himself. Did he make fun of himself even in college, or was that just kind of a stick he picked up after? Oh no, yeah, absolutely. He was always always making jokes, whether it was about others or himself, and keeping keeping the atmosphere loose and and just like I said, being one of those guys that was always happy. He was always laughing, always doing something. Um, yeah, here's a guy that uh, uh, I've gotten to know through the the Bantam coaching ranks. Uh, uh, Mike Michael Mike Gergen, um, you played a lot of years with him. Um, what was it like playing with him? And what, what when he came into to from Shattuck? What was it? What was your opinion of him? And what is it now? Yeah, Gergs came in. So we were the same class coming in our freshman year. Uh, very talented player. Uh, unbelievable shot, whether it was just a quick snapshot, uh, wrist shot, slap shot, whatever it was. Uh, I mean, we all were just amazed by how well he could shoot the puck. And uh, just a, a great guy to be friends with and, and to experience four years at Duluth. And I haven't ran into him uh, for quite a while. I did partake in the, uh, what was it, the LeBlanc Blue Pond Hockey Tournament that they do down in the cities. This must have been two, three years ago, and he had a team down there. So that was, unfortunately, that was probably the last time that I've seen him. But, uh, yeah, yeah, just a 
a, a good guy. Your paths have nearly crossed a few different times because you had some bantam coaching experience before you uh, took this job uh, at Alexandria. We'll get to that in just a second. I want to just finish up your, your pro career. Uh, you started off, you played in the AHL in Abbotsford, BC, and I think Abbotsford is near Vancouver, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's the furthest east suburb of Vancouver. Okay. Yeah, so, and you played... About 45 minutes. Yeah, you played two years uh, there and back and forth between there and, was it Utah? I, I don't have my notes in front of me. Utah, yep, you yep yeah. correct. So yep. you, you played pro hockey there. Who were your, what were your, what were your experiences there playing American uh, professional hockey? Uh, it was, it was okay. Um I was one, I think my first year I was the only or one of two uh, American-born players on the team. Most of the guys, you know, it was a Calgary Flames is farm team, so, you know, they're big into their their WHL, uh, OHL-type players, um, re- respectably. And so it was, it was just unique in that sense because I didn't have uh, – you know, other college players on the team that I could relate to that had the same experience I did, whether I played against them um, at Duluth or whatever the case was. So it was, it was a transition period for me, for sure. And, and ended up becoming friends with all the guys. It was just different at first. And then after two years of that, you uh, go to Balzano and play in Balzano for a year. Uh, at this point in your life, you're like, you're transitioning out of, I hate to say it, out of the NHL dream to uh, making a living at hockey, and, and a really nice living, by the way. Living in Balzano in northern Italy is quite the place to live. Yeah, it definitely was uh, that transition in my career where, okay, I know I'm not going to make it to the NHL. My my window, whatever it was, uh, was over, and now it's, okay, what what else can I get from hockey? And me as a person, I don't think I had much ambition to go over to, to Europe just to vacation or anything. So it was, it was kind of one of those things where uh, the opportunity came up and it was, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to experience what, what Europe has to offer. And, and Bozano was an unbelievable place to, to live the the landscape the country is just beautiful the food is awesome the hockey wise was maybe a little bit down from the AHL at that point but I didn't decide to go over there until late in the summer I know it was it was a late uh, late time when I decided to to that yes I wanted to go play in in Europe so uh, very fortunate that I was able to play in Italy and then eventually move on to to Germany so. Uh... Italy, I mean, I know Balzano is very, uh, there's high altitude there. Was it, was it, was it a harder place to play in a high altitude, high altitude? I, I probably at Balzano, we got used to it, but a lot of our road games were, um, up in Mullins, the other towns, the small, small towns that we were playing against. So it would be, you know, switchbacks up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. So the probably the worst part about playing there was the bus rides really? and getting that sick feeling and stuff. And yeah, I mean, I, I think with the altitude, you kind of get used to it after a while. And yeah. I don't know how much, how much, you know, higher we were going to some of these other places, but uh, I don't, 
I don't specifically remember uh, the altitude having an impact like a, like Denver in, in college or whatever. Right. Yeah, well, you'd go from UMD to Denver. That was always a pretty big shock to the system, I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you go then spend the last three years of your career, you play in Crayfeld. Is that Crayfeld the name of the team, or is that the name of the town too? Uh, both. Okay, yep. so where is Crayfeld? Give us a geography lesson. I did not get a chance to look that one up. It's Western Germany, so it's just outside Dusseldorf. Okay. Uh, we were two hours south of Amsterdam. We were about a half hour from Belgium, uh, kind of right on the border of the western side of, of Germany. And this Krefeld team, by your last year there, you became a captain. So it was like uh, you kind of had sunk your roots in there playing three years. Uh, you probably made enough money. I think you said you had a house back in Alexandria. So it was a pretty good life, but not a life that you wanted to live the rest of your life, right? Correct. Yeah, it was Loved the experience, loved uh, everything that came from it. But at that time, I was uh, 29 years old. I was going to be turning 30. I was still single. Uh, had a house back in Alexandria, as you said. So I would spend a lot of my time, my free time, back here. But it was it was kind of just one of those things where I, I knew that uh, the passion and stuff for playing, at least, was was dwindling, and it was kind of time to move on. It's funny you said that uh, before the show that uh, you even had a contract for two more years to play in Europe and decided to just kind of get on with your life and become, I like to say, become an adult, right? What was that transition like <laughs> from childhood to, to adulthood when you're 29 years old? Yeah. Well, I'd always joke with my friends that now was the time to go find a real job because they didn't see professional hockey as being something that was real. But it was... You know, like like all hockey players, when when you realize that the game is done and it's time to move on, it's it's a tough transition. You know, and and there's you got to kind of relearn a lot of stuff, and uh, that's what I went through at that time. I needed to kind of find myself and who I was again outside of hockey because that's all I knew uh, up until that point. But you know. Uh... I will say this, and not to pump your tires too much, but you had a pretty uh, elaborate experience in in your life, uh, different from a lot of different people who are 30 years old. I mean, not necessarily stuff you can put down uh, from a, on a resume perspective, but think about this. You lived in, in two or three different countries. Um, you uh, met different people from all walks of life. You got a four-year degree from the University of Minnesota, Minnesota Duluth, and, and now you're you're living in your hometown. You gotta, you live a pretty rich life by the time you're 30 years old. Yeah, the game of hockey gave me so much to be thankful for. Um, you know, not just where it took me as far as places, but the people that I met along the way, uh, the players that I got to play with, you know, the other experiences that I got to hear about. Uh, I couldn't be more thankful for what the sport gave me and also the uh, developed me into into the type of person that I am you know there, I think there's a lot of great things that the sport can teach can teach you along the way being a team player uh, work ethic accountability preparation all those good things all combine into the sport of hockey 
So this is a really oddball sidebar, but my dad, he was like 70 at the time. We took his whole family, all my 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 cousins, everyone. He took like 20 or 30 people uh, to Mexico for a week, like right in the middle of school year. I'm like, but I said, Dad, what about education? Isn't that important? He goes, Tony, they're going to learn more in Mexico in seven days than they would ever learn in some classroom. <laughs> Right, and I was like, and I thought I was like probably thirty at the time. Like that's the dumbest thing ever, Dad. You're stupid. And now, as a fifty-year-old, I'm like thinking, yeah, he's right. You can learn a lot of things outside the classroom and apply to your real regular life. And I'm sure that a lot of the stuff you learned in Germany, all over the country, in a hockey rink, can apply to everything in life, and will make you a great coach someday. Yeah, absolutely. And I specifically remember when I went over to Italy, you know, at that time I had never left uh, Canada, U.S. or or Mexico. So to to go over to Italy for the first time by myself, I was, uh, it was just so overwhelming. But to get through that made me such um, a stronger person, Uh, you know, to experience that and, you know, deal with uh, the uncertainty, not knowing all that stuff, the, the language barrier when you get over there, uh, not knowing your teammates. I mean, if you can get through stuff like that, everything else just kind of becomes a lot easier. Yeah, so here, let's have a fun scenario here. Uh, the discomfort of not knowing a language in a foreign country, in a place where you've never been, has to be way higher than the discomfort of some parent in Alexandria complaining about his son's <laughs> playing time, right? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, for sure. I guess, I guess I'll, I'll maybe experience that this coming season. I ordered spaghetti. <laughs> maybe a better you know, answer. I ordered spaghetti, yeah. not cannelloni. You know, like that's nothing compared to what you're, you know, these, these parents are going to drill you, you know, but I, I think you're going to do fine. Uh, I'm joking. So, so, so after, after the career's over in 2014, 15, I'm joking with you before the show. I'm like, well, I can't find you anywhere. He goes, well, cause they don't put youth hockey uh, in elite prospects coaching. They should do it though, because you put in some time coaching with Todd Westland, which is, I think you're going to go to hockey heaven for that. And then you, Got your chance. You got your chance to to coach uh, the Bantams in Alexandria, and then some coaching uh, with the North Star. Uh, we're going to get to North Star Christian Academy here in just a second. Walk through getting back into coaching uh, it, it back in your hometown. What what that was like? I knew I wanted. I, I knew I wasn't done with the game. I knew I was done playing it, but I knew I wasn't done with the game entirely, and. Todd Westland was the, the Banham A coach for that 15-16 season, and I knew him pretty well uh, outside of hockey, and I, I just wanted to be part of a, of a team again. And so I reached out to him, got into, I was the assistant coach that 15-16 season, and then his, uh, he ended up stepping down, and I took it over the following year to coach the Banham full-time. And you guys had some success. I mean, it's well-documented. We follow youth hockey pretty well here. The, the Alex program, especially at the PBA and Bantam A level, has had a, a great deal of success. And now it's your job is to take some of that youth success and parlay it into high school success. Uh, obviously, a runner-up finished a couple of years ago. I think that you're going to have a really bright future in Alexandria. I certainly hope so. That's, that's the goal. Um, so... Uh, for two years, you uh, you got married, right, and uh, yeah. set, settled down, for lack of a term, got out of the youth coaching because there's a lot of 
the big difference coaching here in, in Alexandria versus the Twin Cities is it's all weekends. I mean, you're gone every weekend. It's hard to, to latch on to a, a steady girlfriend or get married. Uh, walk through that process of kind of stepping away from uh, the day-to-day coaching at the Bantam level to, to focus on a family. Yeah, at least where we're located in Alexandria, if you want to play the best of the best, uh, you're going to have to do some traveling. And that's what I experienced that, that second year of Banamaze when I was the head coach is it just got to be a lot, uh, a lot of time uh, dedicated into it. And at that point in my life, you know, I was, I was dating my now, my now wife and it was, it was kind of time to focus more on that part of me and my relationship with her. And so that's why I ended up getting out of, out of the, the coaching of the, of the Bantam team and, and kind of moving on a little bit. So you moved on, but it was kind of a cool move. And, and this is, a, I think, a cool part of your story. At least pre-show, you, you just knocked some of these answers out of the park. You went over and coached, did some defensive skills coaching with Tim Jackman and Rick Randazzo over at North Star Christian Academy. Uh, what was your role there? Walk through uh, what, what your involvement with those guys was. They like to be on the ice two times a day. So in the morning session, they do a, a either a power skating or a skill session where they will break apart, um, have the forwards go for 45 minutes, then the defensemen go out on the ice for 45 minutes. And that's what I did. I took the, the eight or nine defensemen each year, and we would just do some, some basic uh, defensive shooting drills, neutral zone regroups, breakouts, whatever it was, the guys were just in, uh, just wearing bottoms, you know, so it wasn't like we were doing contact stuff, but it's just repetition, repetition, you know, making sure they hit the net on their shots and just, and, and just focusing more on, on the skill side of being a defenseman. So, so the last two seasons, uh, you're working on your, your book of business, uh, in insurance, uh, uh, establishing a family life, you know, a home in, in Alexandria and coaching North Star Christian Academy. Uh, what prompted you to say, okay, now's the time to take on the head coaching job at Alexandria? The opportunity came up would probably be the first thing, you know, it's not often that, that you get this opportunity, um, you know, and maybe I would never have this chance again in the future. But the biggest thing is I, I just know that I can give a lot back and I want to give a lot back to our, to our youth and, and help them uh, not only as a hockey player, but just develop um, as a person and, and realize those skills that you can, that you can take from the game of hockey and apply later in life. And this was, you know, like, like you said, it could be if the, if you didn't apply for it now, it could be 10 years from now when you would, would apply again. Is it kind of like there's only a, 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 a one fleeting opportunity to get it, so you, you took it now, correct? Yeah, yeah, the window presented itself, and, and you, have to, you, know, you have to take advantage. So let's go through a couple of scenarios. So what is your involvement? Uh, what, will, what, will, what is the, uh, the hierarchy of your involvement with at the Alexander Youth Program as the high school coach? Does it change much? Uh, what was the, what is the, what is, how does it work? How deeply involved will you be with the youth program? 
Uh, definitely, the high school program is going to you know trickle down to the youth. Essentially, the youth is is the feeder system to the high school. So making sure that that you're involved at those lower levels and and just being aware of what's going on is is going to be crucial in making sure that you're getting um, the most developed players that you can at the high school level. So I'll I'll still be uh, part of the youth level and in the same aspects that I was in the past and and just keep trying to make not only the high school program better, but uh, the youth program as well. Um, so one of the issues we talked about is you told me that uh, you guys have six squirt teams, four peewee teams, three banner. It's big, and this is boys and girls. Uh, there's not enough ice in Alexandria. There's a seems to be a shortage. Uh, does that hinder the development of your program? It definitely makes things a little bit more tricky. Coaches have to be, um, I guess, a little more uh, unique about their coaching styles when you have that many teams. And actually, those figures that I gave you, that was just the boys' side of things. Yeah. So we still have our gr- girls' program, which has, I'm uh, pretty sure every level has two teams. So the U10, UA, U10, uh, all the way up has two teams as well. Uh, so the ice time is, is definitely tricky um, in our area, and we could – definitely use a, another sheet or two, uh, but it just, it really just makes it, you know, coaches got to be a little bit more unique on, on their practice plans and, and try and develop kids maybe in a different way than having the entire ice, which is possible. So you guys have uh, an interesting, you have an interesting equation there. You know, you have, you have two sheets there and you've been able to get a lot of ice uh, with the new sheet with North Star because North Star can't use the ice uh, year, you know, around the clock. There's only, you know, two teams there maximum. So you've been able to pick up half a sheet basically over at North Star. That's been a, a good addition for the city. Yeah, absolutely. We've, We've utilized that as much as they'll give us, and and we could even do more. Um, even with that sheet, we could still fill another one if if we could. Okay, so or if we had it, which which opens up a different. You, you like I said, this equation, right? So you have the I call it the North Star equation. Uh, you've you've worked there. You know these guys pretty well. Um, they also have, I mean, let's not kid ourselves, they also had Jacob Stender on their team this year, and you, the, the, the high school could have used Jacob Stender. How do you, you run into that, that, that situation of, you know, we're friends, we, we rent ice, but they're also potentially going to take some of your best players away from your high school program. Walk through your strategy there. Yeah, they, you know, North Star with Rick Rendazzo and Tim Jackman and John Olver, they, you know, they've always said that they, they're not out recruiting our, our Alexandria players. Um, they wait until the players make first contact with them. And, uh, you know, the, I know what they have to offer over there. And until we can create a, a youth program and a high school program that is appealing to all, you know, it, it's hard to, um, it's hard to compete with them. And, uh, you know, my relationship with those guys is great. Obviously I've worked there in the past and, and we'll continue to, to feed off of each other and, and utilize that. And I'm going to, you know, model our high school program over around stuff that they've been doing there to make it better. Um, so that we're not losing players and, and players are, are wanting to stay and play for the high school program, um, under, under my, myself and the coaching staff. 
So uh, that that's that's one part of the equation. Another part of the equation is you have the Alexandria Blizzard, an NA3 team, who could also do the same thing. Like could come in and take a kid out of your program, and and you you kind of continually battle. Uh, and does that make you stronger? Or what, what what do you do with the the NA3 team? It could you going to take a positive, make it take a negative into a positive somehow? Every kid's going to make a decision, you know, what's best for their hockey career, but having the NA3 team in town gives us the opportunity for, for some of the high school kids to, to play the before and after the season. So they're getting, you know, not just the high school season, but they're getting, you know, 10 games before, 10 games after, plus playoffs, whatever it is. And, and so I see the, the Blizzard as being a huge asset for us to and in helping develop our, our high school players for sure. Well, this is uh, definitely a, a point in the in the podcast where you, you know you can kind of talk about like your 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 philosophy on how you want players to play and, and do you want to be a defensive team? You want to be a high flying team? Uh, kids coming into the program, you have, you probably haven't had a face to face with the kids because of COVID. Any messages you want to give to the kids early? Because I know that a lot of them will be listening to who who the new head coach is and and what his philosophy <laughs> on it is. You know what I mean? It's kind of weird. That's that's why I'm like, oh, let me see if I can get this guy on the show and kind of get your first words to the to the program. Yeah, I, I haven't a had a, 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 this is a rehearsal, right? right this is yeah, just yeah. practice. You have to actually have it in person. But if you if you had a chance, what would you say to the kids? You know, I I haven't had a chance to meet with them in person, but I have had uh, sent out uh, just an email to all of them introducing who I am. Most of them, I've I've. I know in some capacity in the past uh, with my involvement in the youth program, uh, but the type of player, you know, coach that I am, you, you're going to get what you see. I'm passionate about the game. I, I demand a lot from my players, but also I, I treat them with respect. And really I'm, I, my main goal uh, is to create a very fun and positive environment for them to, to enhance their, their hockey skills, but also the skills that they're going to take away from the game and, and just be one of those guys that, you know, after graduation, a year or two years down the road, uh, we're still talking and we're, and we still have that relationship with each other and, and any, anything that I can help with for them in the future, whether it's hockey related or not, I want to be that asset for them. Well, I think you're going to be a, a fantastic coach, especially with some of your, your life experiences and, 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 and coaching experiences and coaching influences. Some of these guys that, you, that, that coached you over the years are going to be great teachers. Uh, any last words you want to say before we, uh, we sign off? No, I just appreciate uh, you having me on here and sharing my story and uh, testing my memory bank yeah, and bringing tough, back some it? some old memories and and stuff that I kind of forgot over the the five years that I've been done. But uh, I just I'm really looking forward to this next step, this this new experience in my life, and and being the head coach here at Alexandria and. Uh, getting this program uh, back to the state tournament and, and being one of those top contenders in the state for sure. Well, thanks for being on today's show. As part of today's show, uh, Josh will get a gift from the Minnesotans sent to him. Thanks to the Minnesotan again for their sponsorship of today's show. Make sure to stop in and check out or jump online and enter the code TRADITION for free shipping for all YHH pod listeners. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you around the rink soon.